Welcome back to the Aeon Pensions Podcast. This week we welcome back John Foster and we meet Karina Klimashovsky. Picking up from where the previous episode on automatic enrolment left off, we will be taking a closer look at what survey respondents from the DC Pension Scheme Survey thought about member engagement. Do schemes see member engagement as a priority? We discuss the complex issues around pension scheme communication. We look at when pension schemes should be engaging with members and whether there are just simply too many options and how we can get members to look at making the right decisions. Has a shift in technology and communications made it easier to engage? And we look at what is the best way to communicate with members. And now, time for the interview. Welcome back to the Aon Hewitt Pensions Podcast. Today we're talking member engagement with John and Karina from the DC team. Welcome back, John. Thank you. For, you, for our audience, if you could remind us uh, what your role is here. Yes, uh, my, my role is as a uh, specialist within the DC team, um, working with clients, sponsors and trustees of um, some of our larger DC arrangements, covering all aspects from design and, and development of the plans through to investment strategy and member engagement, so hence the me being here today. And, and welcome Karina, your first time on the podcast, if you could um, let us know a little bit about your role here. Yeah, hi, I'm Karina Klimaszewski, uh, so I'm a consultant actuary and um, within our retirement here at Aon. Um, so I've worked in the DC team for about four years, um, but also just with Aon generally uh, for just over seven years as well. So I work in pensions, advising kind of corporates, trustees uh, about their kind of pensions issues. Brilliant. So we're going to kick off the um, the first question, and John, if you wouldn't mind taking this one, the scheme see member engagement as a priority. It's quite it's quite an interesting um, conundrum, I think, this because the this, the survey tells us that around seventy percent of schemes see managing engagement as being vital to scheme success in the future. Um, and we see schemes using multiple channels for communication and engagement. In fact, um, a third of schemes use 10 or more um, different methods of communicating with members, which is fantastic. I think the conundrum comes in when we, we find that um, over 60% of schemes don't actually have any kind of clear communication goals. So it's trying to square a lot of activity with perhaps a, a lack of a plan and a strategy to go with it. Do you think that is um, because of the way that pension schemes are traditionally set up? Do you think there maybe needs to be more focus on you know, uh, a governance structure that helps uh, with member engagement? I think having, having a, uh, a clear idea about who's controlling those, those communications is, is important. And, and actually we see that in, in a lot of cases the employer and the trustees or the employer and the provider uh, need to work quite closely together to make it um, communication successful. So unlike other aspects which might be specific to uh, governments within the scheme, I think communications really spills out over into the broader employee relationship. And do you think sometimes it kind of gets left to, well that's, that's HR territory so we'll leave it with them uh, and there's this kind of expectation that somebody else is just going to pick that ball up? Yeah, I think it, it does It does sometimes fall down the cracks and it's also fair to say that it's it costs money and therefore requires a commitment resource as well to make sure you're doing doing things effectively. But I think there's, it's worth exploring what can be done 
um, within the, the construct of the scheme itself, which doesn't necessarily cost a huge amount, but can also be very effective. Yeah. And, and Karina, so pensions are complicated. So how do we actually help members understand pensions? Yeah, I agree with you there. Pensions are pretty complicated and it's pretty easy to put off thinking about pensions. So it can seem a long way off for loads of people. As I said before, it's pretty complicated. So it's really difficult to get it to the top of people's priority lists. So I guess, how do we help members understand pensions? Well, interestingly, from our 2017 DC survey, we found that about 35% of organisations now offer some sort of financial education, um, while 15% plan to offer it in the next two years. This is quite interesting because it suggests that organisations are trying to think about pensions you know, as part of a more broader, um, broader thing, so part of overall savings rather than just thinking about pensions in silos. Um, so hopefully that's one way that we can kind of get members to not just think about pensions on its own complicated long way off, but think about it as part of the kind of wider, wider piece. Um, another way, I guess, is communications, really important part of member engagement. Um, that's the main way that schemes and those running schemes can kind of give information to, to members. So when you have communications, it's making sure they're clear, targeted, have calls to action so people know what they need to do. So, for example, if you've got a communication that you're sending out to members that talks about how much uh, money you've got in your DC pot, trying to translate that into pension, trying to translate that into if you saved a little bit more, what impact would that have? So that makes it you know, seem more real, seem a little bit less far off and kind of understand the real impact that you're having now on your pension in the future. I think what we're, what we're also seeing there is, is, as Karina said, you're trying to make it engaging for people so they don't get turned off by such a fascinating subject. It's, or, it's, or scared it's, off. It's scared <laughs> off, indeed. But um, trying to find some way of um, integrating all that in, in, some, in some form which enables people at different stages of their working life to access that information whenever it's relevant to them and to push information to them whenever it's relevant to them. Is, is something that, that a lot of organisations are now trying to grapple with. Um, Aon have got the, the big blue technology platform which does which does that sort of aggregation of information so people can see all the information in one place. And, and there are other, other tools and portals that are available to, to, to achieve that. And plus you've also got the government who have introduced the, the, um, the pensions dashboard which is a mechanism at least to try and get everyone's information about pensions together in one place. So there's this general trend to try and pull information together in a format that people can engage with when they're, when they're ready to do so. I think it's quite, it's quite um, funny, isn't it, really? Because I think with banking, you know, people are quite au fait with using online banking. You know, they've yeah. got their ISA and they've got all their savings in, in one place. But it's just, it's strange how, you know, it just doesn't, you know, it, it hasn't really been rolled out to, to pensions for so long. And I know that uh, the dashboard and, and these other products, uh, you know, Big Blue, are often touted as, you know, the, um, you know, the answer, the solution. I mean, do you think it's as simple as that, or do you think we've still got a bit of work to do to get people actually, you know, using these products in the first place? I think the, um, the evidence is there that where information is available, uh, particularly online, if, it's a, if it requires the member to actually think about inter interacting with that technology, very few do in practice. Um, and therefore the, the, the successful um, 
combination of technology and communications is to actually, as, as Karina says, you've got your targeted communication, but you've also got a call to action, and it encourages somebody to think about something in a way that perhaps they haven't thought about it before. Um, I think the other, the other challenge and the other distinction between banking and pensions is banking is the here and now, and is your cash. Where's it going? You know, what am I spending? Yeah, exactly. Where, where's it gone? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Who else has got access to my account? I don't know about. And then there's the um, and then there's the pension side, which is a long time away in the future, and therefore there's no immediate sort of either satisfaction from any interaction or any real kind of um, handle on what that means to people. So translating it to things that matter to people, I think, is, is the key, and, and and perhaps hooking them in at points in time when it's relevant to them. Well, I kind of. Can't, can't, that nicely leads on to our, our next question, which is when should we be engaging with members? Because I imagine it's, you know, different at whichever uh, stage of the journey they're on. Yeah, yeah. Well, ideally, we'd like everyone to be really engaged in pensions and uh, like really are. excited, <laughs> exactly like we are, John, um, and to, you know, be reading all communications, taking action, understanding everything. Um, I mean, engaged members, people who understand pensions, they're going to be the ones that We'll make a decision when needed, we'll understand all of the options. So obviously that is that is the ideal. But I mean realistically, it's quite hard to engage with people, particularly at a young age. Yeah. I mean, pensions it seems like such a long way off. You know, it's something that you can potentially take from fifty-five at the moment at the earliest. Um so, you know, it's really difficult for those young guys and it's it's quite a problem. But I mean, at young ages, then sometimes it's good to default. So, if we think about uh, auto enrolment, which was kind of a government initiative to yep. try and default everyone so that um, those people who are eligible are kind of in a pension scheme, so get more people into pension schemes. You know, we've seen that that started in 2012. There are now far more people in a pension scheme than there were previously. So, that you know, defaulting has been quite a success. There are more people in schemes now. So that was that was great. But I guess let's think about other defaults and other ways that we can kind of use that to get people to be getting kind of good outcomes for their pensions. So, for example, the default investment option, you join a scheme when you're young and you're being asked, where do you want to invest? That's quite a difficult decision yeah. where you're going to invest for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. So actually, having an investment option that you know investment advisors have advised on that kind of has your scheme membership in mind that young members can use to invest in so that you know those running the scheme can kind of feel comfort that they're not invested somewhere that is completely wrong for them and it won't be really detrimental to their outcomes at retirement is, is another good way of kind of using a default. Obviously, we can't always default. Yeah, you know, we can't just default everything one to everything because not everyone is the same. Um, I guess when you're kind of more approaching retirement, you know, you need to kind of be thinking about when you want to retire. So, you know, is it going to be fifty-five? Is it going to be seventy? What you're going to do at retirement? So, what options are you going to take? A pension or something else? And that's the point that for those members, it's really important to engage and not default so having some sort of strategy in place for communications for those guys do you think i mean i suppose it goes back to the financial education slightly but um you know younger um members of a scheme probably need to be educated that you know some element of risk is is quite good and obviously as you mm -hmm. 
get closer to retirement, you probably become a little bit more sort of um, you know, liquid in your in your choices, and you know you, you're probably looking at less risk because you've built your pot up. Do you, do you think that's always clear? Do you think the more could be done there? I think there's. Um, I think the answer is almost not to try and engage people in things that they're not going to understand. So that I think the issue around um, not expecting members at a young age to engage in the decision making around investment because they probably won't. Not they won't understand it, but they won't necessarily make decisions which are uh, fully informed, as you, as you yeah. quite rightly say. Um, taking the right level of risk over the right time frame is very much something that um, is, is a specialist investment knowledge area. I think the default investment strategy should do that for you without you thinking about it and without you worrying about it. Um, I think in terms of focusing members on things that they can understand, it's things like uh, using modelers, so the use of the actual um, availability and, and access to modelers, for example, has, has gone up from 54% of schemes up to 80% of schemes uh, over the last two years. And that's a, a mechanism where you can, you can get a, a member at a young age, for example, interested in how much am I going to get. Yeah. Um, it's, money that, it's money terms they can recognise and, and relate to. Um, not where do I, how much risk do I take, what type of risk is that, is that inflation risk, is that conversion risk, is that, all, you know, that, that sort, sort of thing that we're not really going to be uh, interested in. So I think it is about focusing them on the right things to make decisions about. Karina said, they're also enrolled into the scheme, and they can make a decision about how much they contribute, and they can use a modeler to sort of do some future calculations about adequacy of benefits and things. And then as they approach retirement, is engaged in the idea of, are you sure you're in the right place for where you want to end up in terms of your post-retirement position? So it is, it is timing and focusing on those points that really make the big difference for people. So that's quite a big jump, isn't it, from uh, sort of fifty to eighty percent there? And I remember, you know, a couple mm. of years ago, you know, it's quite a, a scare tactic. So it seems to be being used, uh, you know, a lot more positively now. You know, actually, and giving people that power to um, make small changes now for, for gain later mm. on in life. Yeah, and it is that it is the the one thing that makes the biggest difference for people is how much they put into the scheme in the first place, mm. um, irrespective of investment strategy. Obviously, that later on in life, that, that then becomes more and more important as you accumulate that, that sum of money. I know we briefly touched on it in the, the last episode, um, obviously with compulsion changing next year. Do you think that communication um, needs to start now to sort of prep people for what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's contributions under auto-enrollment are going to increase and it's important to try and make people understand what that means. You know, it is is an increase that people are going to have to be paying. People are going to have to be paying more into their pension scheme, but that will hopefully give them more at retirement. So it's important to think of a strategy to try and get members to understand what this means. And yeah, you're right, trying to do it as early as possible or to think about it as early as possible, maybe not communicating with members too early so that yeah. you know they have too long, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we should be thinking about at the moment. Yeah, maybe maybe catching it in terms of if your contributions going up, that you're more than doubling your your pension benefits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. not Actually. not the cost, but it's what you're getting at the end of it. Mm. So, uh, given the shift towards technology, should schemes now be using a different way to communicate? Yeah, so we've definitely seen. You know, we've got more use of apps. We're using mobile phones basically to access the internet all the time. 
you know, do we have desktops, any desktop computers that much anymore, you know, using laptops. So yeah, certainly a shift towards more using technology. Uh, we actually found in one of our surveys that millennials are more than twice as likely to seek advice online than those over the age 55. Certainly suggests that, you know, we should be thinking about other ways to communicate and not only written, uh, written communications. Um, I guess most people like a reference. Most people, you know, like to have something to reference back to, some sort of something they can look about what, what um, benefits they were getting. So actually moving completely to online, that might not necessarily be the, the right way to go, but using a combination of methods yeah. might be the best thing to do. So we found uh, in our 2017 DC survey that 84% of schemes are using a combination of at least one written and one online method. So it's about, you know, not just focusing all of your energy on one way of communicating because different different people like to use different things. Should, should we be capturing, um, so we should be capturing, but should we be using personal data? Because I think sometimes digital correspondence often goes out through the, the company. Um, and actually, if I'm an active member and I leave, it's then very difficult to get me in. And that's probably why I get so many uh, letters through the post now uh, with the various pots that I have. Mm -hmm. But do you think we, there should be a more proactive way of actually getting members to contribute um, you know, an email address or some correspondence that is a bit more sticky for them? I think it's, I think it's a, a really good idea. And I think obviously schemes are going to be very... And employers are quite rightly going to be very concerned about making sure they're handling data in a way which, which complies with an ever-increasingly stringent data protection environment. Um, but within that, I think there are great opportunities to enhance the, the, the reach of, of communications by using things like email and, and SMS messaging and things like that. So um, I think it's going to be a continual challenge between sort of free access to information to enable people to do things they want to do, but also to make sure there's sufficient tight controls around the use of that data that people can be comfortable. It's not just out there in the ether. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some, uh, I went to a, a few different um, briefs on the pensions dashboard, uh, seen obviously some of the other products, um, you know, on the market, Big Blue being one of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people have said, it should be, you know, they're looking at Amazon as a model, you know, where um, push notifications come out and, you know, people are up to date and they serve relevant content. I mean, can you see that happening in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, <clears throat> things like um, Alexa, sell my diversified growth fund, <laughs> <laughs> and switch me into guilt, might be, it might be some way off. But, I mean, it, it, there's no reason why... There's no reason why that can't happen because clearly that's, that is the way in which people are now interacting with technology. It's a kind of a human voice, if not a human being. I'd, I'd just love to see you trying to get that through, Alexa, at this <laughs> stage. Yeah, <laughs> uh, here's me. a song by... Just <laughs> remember where you heard it first. Um, but I think, you know, back to sort of where people are now, I mean, over 70% of schemes still use some sort of verbal face-to-face -face type contact. So I think there are... There are all sorts of um, developments which I think we can, we can take advantage of, but I don't think we should get too carried away with the technology for its own sake. It yeah. is the extent to which it can be harnessed and used to help people make good decisions and help them in this day and age when everything happens in a split second to sort of act on something when they think of it rather than sticking it on top of the fridge and never reading it again. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I also think that um, you know, probably for millennials in particular, it's been quite a it's been quite a rough time during their generation, watching mm -hmm. the pensions model completely change. So, with Generation Z in mind, do you think we're a much better place to be able to, you know, get them in, into the pension scheme a lot earlier and you know, offer them better financial education from the outset? I think they will. I think, and I hope that they will be more, much more aware of the importance of of, um, of their financial well-being over time. And certainly, I mean, in terms of being familiar with um, with finances, I think that's the biggest challenge for. Should go right through to schools to making sure that people are leaving school with some understanding about what, what lies ahead in terms of financial planning. So I do I do think that that they're um, be much better able to assimilate that information perhaps uh, than than previous generations, and it's much more part of the landscape. That as soon as they start work, they'll join the pension scheme. Mm. Um, but I do I still think the challenge is going to be making sure that people are able to address the challenge of what they need for the here and now, which is cash demands for, for debt, whether it's student debt or other, yeah. um, against the long-term need to, to put something by for, for, for their retirement. So I think it's still going to be a, that's still going to be a challenge that people are going to be grappling with. So what, what do you think the best way to communicate with members is? It's probably not one best way, to be honest. Um, I mean, if you think about, you've got lots of different schemes, you have to kind of think about your membership. So one organisation, everyone might be accessing laptops and emails all the time. Yep. So emails might be quite a good way to, to go down, but some companies might might not have any access to email. So is, is email really the right thing to do? Is online really the right thing to do? So I think those people running DC schemes need to think about you know their actual membership and what's right for them. But then I guess if you even think within an organisation, the variety of people that you have, I mean, everyone is different, right? So yeah. everyone likes to, you know, something different. So whether they like reading it online, whether they like going and talking to someone on a helpline, or whether they want to, you know, read a written document. So even within a scheme, you're going to have such a range of members that you kind of need to think about offering a range. So not just one type of communication. So I think John alluded to earlier that we found that about a third of schemes offer 10 or more different methods of communication to members. It's quite a lot of different methods of communication, but there are quite a lot of different types of yeah. people. You know, no one is the same. So I think it's more about offering a range and thinking about your membership um, rather than kind of focusing on one thing. So I kind of guess the key is being accessible to yeah. Sense of members. Yeah, and making it clear where you can get more information if you need it as well. Having all of this information on this great website that no one knows about is not going to help anyone. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just finally then, um, John, what do you think the key takeaways then for, for schemes are regarding member engagement? I think it, first it's recognising that actually there's, a, there's an awful lot of really good stuff going on. I think the, the, the kind of the, the statistic I gave earlier, which was that 60% um, of plans don't have any kind of goal to communications. I think taking control of that, setting out clearly what your objectives are, perhaps breaking that down to different member groups and types, and, and identifying the way in which you want to try and engage with those different members to get your message across, or the message that's important to those people. Secondly, it's, it's basically, once you do that sort of exercise, is to see if it works, and rather than just throw, throw information out there, is to have some process of saying, well, how successful was that? So measuring the success of, of programs is, is, is important. 
I think it's also recognising that you're probably going to have a bit of a slow build and that you have to generate some interest and perhaps maintain that and revisit that over time because you might catch somebody exactly the right time, first time, second time, third time, they might start to think, oh, there's something, yeah. there's something here I should be doing, I should be thinking a bit more about it. So it's maintaining that conversation and that, that, that process that I think is really key to this. Brilliant. Well, thank you both, um, John and Karina, for sharing your, your wisdom with us. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, in one of the future episodes. Thank you. Great, thanks.